Welcome to another edition of Now is the Time with Steve Bergson on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org. Now, here's Steve. All right. Are you covenanted part 33? That was underwhelming. Okay. Are you covenanted part 33? That's okay. That was good. All right, so here we are in 33 parts. Hopefully we're not getting jaded and all that because this is important stuff. And we're going to be dealing with some really important issues that were brought up in Proverbs chapter 5 as we're talking about the connection between wisdom, knowledge, and understanding with our being in covenant, with our keeping of the covenant. And we've been looking at this metaphorical woman with honey dripping from her lips, tempting us with words smoother than oil, and yet it brings bitterness and wormwood and a two-edged sword. And last part, we were dealing with the idea that her ways of doing things, the way she walks, if we follow in her footsteps, excuse me, it's going to lead to death. If we follow her ways, her feet lead on to death. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of the grave, versus verse 5. Okay, so we're still dealing with the sort of feet thing. And then we stopped in Jeremiah 11. Now bear in mind, leading into this in Proverbs 5, 1, again, we are being in the first two verses. It says, listen to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding so as to watch over discretion and your lips guard knowledge. That's the framework of where of we're now contrasting that with this woman that's going to tempt us to go in a different direction. And we're talking about the feet going in a wrong direction here. And in chapter 11 of Jeremiah, chapter 11 of Jeremiah, we, were, we read the first 15 verses, and we were talking quite a bit about these things. In verse 8, it talks about, but they did not obey or incline their ear. <laughs> Isn't that what we just were told to do in Proverbs 5? To incline our ear, to obey and incline our ear. He said, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart, so I brought on them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, and they did not do. So they chose to walk in a different way. So we're talking about the way the feet were going. Where are your feet going? Okay? Very, very important that we understand that there's a, there's a, one, there's a, a very narrow, simple path that's so easy to deviate from, but that path leads to the success you're looking for, the kingdom. But all other paths, paths may look like they could go in the right, path, in the right you know, direction and in the right place, but they don't. And that's where we have to be careful of the, the lip-stripping honey and sounds good and it's sweet and it wants to take you in what direction that you think you want to go. So we stopped in verse 15 and we go into verse 16 now. Now bear in mind that what's happening here in, in verse 8 leading forward is we're saying, look, because you chose the wrong path, what did it say in chapter 5 of Proverbs, verse 5? It said, as you go into 5 and 6, it will lead to the grave. It's going to bring cursing. It's going to bring bitterness and wormwood. So here we, he says to us, there's a covenant that you made. Oh, I don't know. Do you remember the covenant, Exodus 19, right? If you do what I say, I will take you as my people. But there's more to it. And Deuteronomy 28 is probably the best place to look and say, see what he says it actually looks like. If you obey, you get all these blessings. And if you do not obey, you get all these cursings. And here he's saying, you did not obey. So guess what? Now you're going to get all those cursings, just as I got promised. You can trust 
in either side of these things to always come true as he says. You can trust the blessings to come, but you can also trust the cursings to come. Our witness of the cursings coming should just as much strengthen our belief and faith as witnessing the blessings coming. In other words, we trust that what he says, he means, and when he says it will come true, it does. It comes to pass. So it's vital that we understand that. So then we get to verse 16. Well, actually, let's go in verse 15, kind of lead into it. It says, why should my beloved be in my house? She's done wickedness with many, and does the set-apart flesh remove your evil from you? Then you rejoice? So he's saying, he's saying, look, why should you, my beloved, be in my house? Anybody know this phrase, if, as long as you live in my house, you're going to live by my rules? You've probably said that as a parent, or you remember it as a kid, but you've heard it or said it or both. As long as you're in my house. <laughs> and he's saying, look, I he's using the word beloved. He says, look, I love you. You are my beloved. But why should you, my beloved, be in my house if you're just going to do whatever you want? If you're not going to do according to my rules. You know, we have the verse where Yeshua says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. But also, there's rules. And to be not thrown out of that house, you got to be submissive to the rules. He says, and does the set apart flesh remove your evil from you? Then you rejoice. In other words, you sit there going, oh, but I'm covenanted. I'm circumcised and I'm, a, I'm bloodline Israel and blah, blah, blah. In this case, he's talking to Judah. I'm Judah and I'm this. No, the, the flesh has nothing to do with it. Choice has everything to do with it. What do you choose to do? Look, we talk about salvation as providing an opportunity. With salvation, everything you do now matters. If salvation wasn't available, nothing you did would matter. Well, guess what? He's saying here, just because you covenanted, like making an altar call. By the way, I did a little research. You know that altar call thing is only since the 1800s? That's how well-established and rooted it is since Yeshua. It took 1,800 years for someone to come up with it. But he's saying here, your physical outward appearances don't score any points. You have to do what I've asked you to do. So don't just sit there going, but I'm a Jew, but I'm an Israelite, but I'm a this, but I'm a that. Labels are not going to get you anywhere. He's not going to sit there going, okay, who's got the right label? Okay, you're in. <laughs> he said, look, you have done wickedness with many. And you think, oh, but I'm, I have set apart flesh. In other words, I don't live with them necessarily. I, I separated myself from these people, etc. Yeah, but you do what they do. He says, he says, then you're going to rejoice? He says, Yahweh has named you green olive tree, fair and goodly fruit. Fair and of goodly fruit. With noise of a great sound, he has set it on fire and its branches shall be broken. Okay, so... Israel is referred to as this goodly green olive tree. This good green olive tree. But he says, look, I've set you on fire and its branches shall be broken. And Yahweh of hosts who planted you has spoken evil against you for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Yehuda, which they have done against themselves to provoke me by burning incense to Baal. And Yahweh made it known to me and I know it. Then you showed me their deeds. Oh, this is the problem. So we have this green olive tree. We've got this problem with the green olive tree and breaking of branches. Let's go to John 15. And I just thought of another place to go. 
So let me see if I want to go there first. Hold on. Yeah, let's go to Romans 11 first. <laughs> In Romans 11, let's see. Let's go to, I guess we could start in verse 1. I'm going to have to deal with a bunch of stuff that I didn't really intend to, but we will. Okay. I say then, has Elohim rejected his people? Let it not be. Okay. When he's saying has rejected his people, who's he referring to? Those covenanted initially. Those born of Israel. Okay. In this case, he's talking to those of Judah because the northern tribes have already been dispersed. And so he's talking to those that identify as Jewish because that would have been Benjamin, Judah, and, Le and some of Levi and the few that had been from the other tribes that had assimilated, basically assimilated into the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, has Elohim rejected his people? Let it not be. So for all replacement theologists, Romans 11.1 1 is in your Bible. <laughs> okay? Because all those replacement theologists say, well, the Jews blew it, and so he's rejected them. It's now on us, the Gentiles. Well, Paul's going to explain that that is absolutely not true right here in Romans chapter 11. But remember, we're talking about branches in a tree. We're going to get to that around verse 17 or so. All right? 16, 17. But let's go through this. Elohim has not rejected his people whom he knew beforehand. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Eliyahu? Who, how he pleads with Elohim against Israel saying, Yahweh, they have killed your prophets and overthrown your altars and I am alone left and they seek my life. But what does the answer of Elohim say to him? I have left for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. See, Eliyahu didn't know who was who. It just looked terrible to him. It looked like he was all by himself. He said, so therefore... Also, at this present time, a remnant, according to the choice of favor, divine favor, has come to be. Okay? Now, understand, we're talking about this. This is real favor. All right? This is not what people have taught grace to be. This is unmerited, excuse me, unmerited favor, where he has made sure that a people existed. Now, they've merited it, saying these are people that have not bowed a knee. So, in some ways, they've merited it. But he has made sure that a remnant has existed. Remember, the key here is I alone and by myself. And he says, no, there's 7,000 who have not bowed a knee. So also, therefore, at this time, there are those who have earned favor through doing what they need to do. Even though you don't see them so visibly. Because the visible Israelites were a mess. Yeshua pointed it out all the time. Their leadership was a mess. The people following the leadership were a mess. He says, so therefore also at this present time, a remnant according to the choice of favor has become. In other words, they have chosen to do what was meriting favor in the eyes of Yah and not bent a knee to Baal. And if by favor, it is no longer of effort or toil. In other words, so he's saying here, we're trying to, I'm going to help you define. Verse 6 is a mess. I want us to make sure we understand it. I've done this in other teachings, but I want to make sure. Now, remember, a remnant, a remnant still exists because he chose for them to not get killed off. We're not talking about their behavior earning or not earning here. He, by his mercy, has kept alive a remnant that could have been killed off at any point. And he said, just like with the Baal thing, you remember with Eliyahu, they were trying to kill all of those that were followers of Yah. And Elijah was like, what's going on here? You know, I'm the only one left. He says, no, there's 7,000. 
He says, and I've kept them alive. He says, and if by mercy and favor, grace, not the way people normally understand it, if by that favor, it is no longer of an effort or toil. Otherwise, the favor is no longer favor. In other words, here we're talking about that it has nothing to do with merit. Abba has chosen there to be a remnant. Your efforts and your toil is not what's bringing that around. And if it is of works, it is no longer favor. By works, the, the, the word there is not the idea of Torah observance. It's effort and toil. Let's be careful that we're not misunderstanding the word in English where we've been taught works means doing the law. No, this word actually just means here translated effort. It wasn't because of anybody's effort that in his mercy he chose to keep a remnant alive. That's what he's saying here. He says otherwise the effort is no longer, now again, be careful here with the word works. Otherwise, what their effort is, is no longer effort. In other words, if, if the... Paul, you know what? I wish, Paul, you could be more clear. All right. Okay, if by favor, it is no longer of... If, okay, if it's by favor that he did this, then it's no longer of effort or toil. Otherwise, the favor is no longer going to be considered favor. If it is of effort and toil, it is no longer favor. Otherwise, the effort is no longer the effort. What is he talking about? Who knows? Okay, now... What then? What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the chosen did obtain it and the rest were hardened. So he's saying, look, this is not about grace versus law and all this other stuff. He's saying, look, there are some that chose to go the path of the covenant. There are those that chose to deviate from the covenant. So he's saying here, look, there were some who obtained because they chose and others who did not obtain because they were hardened. They chose not to. He said, what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. What? But the chosen obtained it. The ones who chose, the ones who had favor, the one that he kept alive, they obtained it. They stayed in covenant. As it has been written, Yahweh has given them a spirit of deep sleep, eyes not to see and ears not to hear unto this day. You cannot do this on your own effort is what he's trying to say. He has to give you eyes and give you ears, give you the heart to receive so that you can choose. We've said this to a lot of the teachings. It's his favor, his choice to open up your eyes and ears when he chooses. Okay? It's his choice. It's not your choice. You don't get to force that issue. It's going to be what it's going to be when it's going to be. Okay? Now... That being said, he goes, he has given them a spirit of deep sleep. Dawid also says, let their table become for a snare and for a trap and for a stumbling block and a recompense to them. In other words, let them reap what they sowed. They broke covenant. They went and served the Baals. They did exactly what says in Jeremiah, where each one was choosing to walk in the stubbornness of their own evil hearts. Let them have consequences. You said so in your covenant that they would have consequences. Let the consequences be used as a wake-up call. Follow this. Let their eyes be darkened not to see and bow down their backs always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Let it not be. But by their fall. Okay, so first of all, he's saying, remember, Paul knows the Tanakh, the Old Testament, better than anybody that I can think of. All right? He knows it's certainly better than everybody he's talking to. Certainly better than all the Gentiles that might be reading this. 
Okay, he knows the Tanakh. And he's trying to say, look, I know the prophecies about the restoration. That Israel and Judah will mess this up, but they'll be restored. I know Ezekiel 37, he's saying. I know what's going on with the two sticks. I know about the dry bones. I know about all these things that have been prophesied in Hosea and in other places. I also know that it says that they're going to suffer until that time. And so he's trying to point that out and how that fits into the current events he was going through here in the book of Romans. And he says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Let it not be. But by their fall, deliverance has come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. So he's saying because Israel, because Judah has chosen badly... Remember, Yahweh has said things always like, well, if you don't want to do it, I'll raise rocks to do it. If you, if you don't want to do it, somebody else will do it. All right, we have in the book of Esther, Esther, if you don't do it, somebody else will end up doing it. Yahweh's going to have it done. But what will happen is if when, when those that knew they were chosen, knew they were supposed to do it, all of a sudden somebody else is getting the opportunity. Any of you ever have this happen with your children? You have a child supposed to do something. They don't do it. So now you move on to the other child. Now all of a sudden the first child wants to do it. Because they're like, whoa, 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 that's my thing. <laughs> but you didn't do it. We're moving on over here. It provokes them to jealousy. You see how that can play out? And so he says, look, let it not be. But by their stumbling or their falling, it's not like they blew it and they'll never get it back. The Gentiles were brought deliverance. In other words, their eyes were open and ears were open. Not they were saved. Let's not think of the status thing. They were delivered out of that blinded, delusional place. He says he'd given them strong delusion. They had inherited lives of their fathers. Their eyes had never been opened. He says they were delivered out of that ignorance so that they could then start walking this out and provoke Judah to jealousy. And if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their completeness? In other words, how much more does this end up eventually being a blessing to them when they figure it out? To recognize how they were used in a powerful way. For I speak to you, the Gentiles. Now he's making sure that we know who the audience is. I speak to you, you nations, you Gentiles, you non-born covenanted people. You were not born covenanted. You're not generationally bloodline covenanted. He says, and as much as I am emissary to the Gentiles, I esteem my service. And if somehow I might provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their casting away is the restoration to favor the world, what is their acceptance but life from the dead? Because remember, that's all part of the full line of prophecy about Israel. That they would be the people, they would blow it, and then they would again be the people. They were called Loami and Loruchama, Hosea. Right? Loami, not my people. Loruchama, no mercy. But in the same place that, that was said, they would be called children of the living Elohim. Okay? So that's Hosea chapter 1, I believe. So recognize, Paul's understanding all of this. You now he says, for if their casting away is going to bring restoration to, to, uh, to favor with Elohim of the whole world, then what if there, what is their acceptance but life from the dead? Now, if the first fruit is set apart, who is the first fruit? The original covenanted people. Israel. If their first fruit is set apart, then the lump is also. And if the root is set apart, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, what did we read in Jeremiah? He said, I'm going to set a fire and break off the branches. 
if some of the branches were broken off, being a wild, oh, there it is, olive tree. Same thing that we read in Jeremiah. Having been grafted in among them and come, came to share the root and fatness of the olive tree. So he said, and if some of the branches were broken off and you, Gentiles, being a wild olive tree. I have to reread it because I read it wrong. Okay, And if some of the branches, the original branches, Israel and Judah, were broken off, and then you Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, be grafted in among them and come to share the root and fatness of the original olive tree, do not boast against the branches. And if you boast, remember, you do not bear the root, but the root bears you. In other words, we don't start reading the Old Testament through the New. The old is the root. It starts in Genesis, not in Matthew or John or some other place. Or Hebrews or Romans or Galatians or wherever you may have started in your church going. The root. By the way, there is a oxymoron, misnomer, some other nonsense out there called the, the, the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. There's no such thing. Christianity's roots come out of paganism. It starts off with a, a perverting of the Hebrew faith. Because they don't want to have anything to do with the roots when they talk about that. They still want to be Christian. They still want to say the law was done away with. We don't have to do it. Blah, blah, blah. We can eat what we want. Do what we want. Meet on Sunday. Christmas, Easter. All that other stuff. The roots of the Christian faith are syncretism of paganism. Okay, it's not like the, the Christian faith is where we're supposed to be and this is how it got to be this great thing. No, there was a great thing. It was a covenant in Mount Sinai. It got twisted and perverted and became the Christian faith. Get mad at me all you want. People throwing rocks at me now online or whatever. Okay. He's saying here, look, you do not bear the root, but the root bears you. And you shall say then that the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That's good. That's good. Did you understand that branches were broken off so that there was room to graft you in? However, he says, by unbelief they were broken off and you stand by belief. But do not be arrogant but fear. And there's a huge arrogance being taught all over the place. We're special. We're saved. We're blah, 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 whatever. He says, for if Elohim did not spare the natural branches, he might not spare you either. <laughs> Take that for a warning. Remember, think you stand, beware what lets you think you stand unless you fall, right? For if Elohim did not spare the natural branches, he might not spare you either. See then the kindness and sharpness of Elohim. On those who fell, they received sharpness. But toward you, kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you shall be receiving the sharpness and cut off as well. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, shall be grafted back in. For Elohim is able to graft them in again. And he says that in the two sticks in Ezekiel 37 and in all kinds of prophecies in Isaiah, Jeremiah and everywhere else. Hosea, oh, Micah, oh, they all say the same thing. He says, for I do not wish you to be ignorant. Hold on, I skipped one. Okay, verse 24. For if they were, if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, the good olive tree of Jeremiah, we just read in Jeremiah 11, 
He said, how much more shall these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Stop being arrogant. What's happening in Jeremiah is prophetically going into what Paul is talking about here. They made mistakes. They were cut off. The tree was set on fire. But it then eventually opened up the doors as the plan. Look, in the very beginning, who got the first promises? Avraham. And when Avram, actually before he was even had his name changed, Avram was told he would be the father of many Gentiles. Many goyim in the Hebrew. And the plan is playing out right here. Paul's explaining it. Because father knew that Israel would struggle. They would go after their own stubborn hearts. They would seek after the Baals. They wouldn't listen to the covenant. And that that would open up the door to bring in other nations. And then he would then, they would be provoked to jealousy. They'd figure it out. They'd come back in. And now everybody has the opportunity because of this. They didn't all need to be at Sinai or related to somebody who was. That's a great plan. That's an incredible plan. He said, for if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and grafted contrary to nature into the good olive tree, how much more shall those, these here, who he's talking about the Jews, who are natural, be grafted into their own olive tree? He said, I do not wish you to be ignorant of this secret, brothers, lest you should be wise in your own estimation that hardening in part has come over Israel until the completeness of the Gentiles has come in. He's trying to say, look, Israel is only in this temporary state of being heart-hardened. He's got to allow that. Because if Israel jumps out there, is all in it again, they may have the same problem trying to say, this is ours, you can't have it. Because I'll tell you right now, Christianity and Judah agree on only one thing. The Torah is not for you. They do. And so if they were grafted back in before the Gentiles had their opportunity to come all fully in... They would go back to, well, the Torah is not for you. It's for everybody. It was never meant to be just for them. It's for all. This is his great plan. That's why when the kingdoms were split, okay, you have, you have Solomon and the kingdoms being split going into his children. Why was it split? Because it was going to play out this way. What does Abba say? What does Yahweh say in that moment to Rehoboam? He says, oh, no, no, don't go after Jeroboam and try to bring the people back and reunite the kingdoms. This split is of me. Wow. In other words, it makes my plan move forward. It meets the needs of the plan. I knew this would happen. It's going to lead to what I want to play out eventually. It's not going to be fun for everybody going along the whole process, but this will allow for what I need to happen to happen. And by when I say what I need, it's not like he caused all this stuff. He already knew we would mess up, knew we'd reject the covenant, knew we'd be weak, knew we'd be stubborn in our flesh, knew we needed to be receiving of consequences, discipline, you know, um, chastisement, so that we could learn our lessons through consequences. And he saw how this would play out all the way through. The end from the beginning. And when this happened, he said, this will lead to what I want. This will lead to the result I want. Let's let this play out. Leave this alone. Continuing. He says, verse 25, and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this secret. This is something that most people did not understand. Most people did not understand in Paul's day, nor today, the relationship between covenant 
and covenanted born people and, un, and, and not covenanted born people. In other words, the relationship between a Jew and a Gentile. At this point, we're only dealing with Jew and Gentile because Israel is basically, for all, all intents and purposes, scattered and lost. And at this time, a whole bunch of you Gentiles aren't even really Gentiles. You wouldn't even know it. You got Israel blood in you. But because it's been sifted like seed and grain through a sieve and all that other stuff, you've just been mixed so much. Who knows? And it doesn't matter, by the way. Don't, you don't need to go swab and find out if you're related, you know, bloodline to anything. Listen to the teaching I did called Discovering Your Identity and understand absolutely no doubt it's choice that matters, not bloodline. Doesn't matter your sex, your race, any of those things. It's choice. Because in the kingdom, there won't be any of that stuff. There'll only be choice. It won't matter what your physical body was like. You won't have one. None of those other things will matter. What will matter is choice. Are you going to choose to be a member of the kingdom? In other words, a citizen of the kingdom in complete submission to the authority of the king of the kingdom. Choices. It's all about choices. Why did I give you that one teaching? Making decisions is the reason you exist. It's all about choices. It's not about bloodline and all those things. Now, and Paul says this over and over and over. But he wants to make sure that the Gentiles now don't come in on the other side of it. Let the pendulum swing the other way. And now they get all haughty. Which is one of those problems from Proverbs 6. Okay, the six things Yahweh hates. And have haughty eyes. And start looking at the Jews like, huh, you guys are losers. We're so great now. He's, he doesn't want you guys. He wants us. He's rejected you. We're, the, we're his special children now. And Paul's saying, don't go there. Don't do that. Has Elohim rejected his people, verse 1? Let it not be. And we have verse after verse after verse, if you would read it in the Old Testament, saying that absolutely he will bring them back. And they will be restored. There is no doubt. Continuing, so he says here, I don't want you to be ignorant of this secret, lest you should be wise in your own eyes, in your own estimation. You need to know that hardening in part, not in completeness. Remember when he had Eliyahu saying, I'm by myself. He says, no, hardening hasn't been complete here. There's still a remnant, 7,000 haven't bent their knee. He says, in part has happened and come over to Israel. Okay, hardening in part has come over Israel until the completeness of Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel shall be, not are, but shall be delivered or saved. As it has been written, the deliverer shall come out of Zion and he shall turn away wickedness from Yaakov and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He's not talking about Gentiles here. Truly, as regards the good news, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the choice they are, beloved for the sake of the fathers. Understand what's going on here. For the gifts and the calling of Elohim are not to be repented of. For as you also at one time disobeyed Elohim, but now have obtained compassion through their disobedience, so also they have now disobeyed, that through compassion shown you, they also may obtain compassion also. For Elohim has shut them all up to disobedience in order to have compassion on all. Are we following this? Because you came out of, if you came out of Christianity, a system that basically said, they blew it, they need to come and convert to what we are. They blew it. We're special now. 
The arrogance in Christianity even goes to the place of everybody before the death, the burial, and resurrection really didn't have a shot. Because after all, it was only after that point that everybody after that is special. Anybody ever heard that? Okay. They're not saved. All of them are just because the, because the Spirit hadn't been poured out. The Spirit was poured out in Genesis chapter 1. What are you talking about? What, it was poured out in chapter 1 and then taken back? It's been here all the time. John chapter 1 explains that. Some chose to act differently than others. All through the whole time. Before, before we even get to verse 14 where Yeshua shows up. I need to just read that to you real quickly here. In John 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Elohim, and the Word was Elohim, and He was in the beginning with Elohim. And all came to be through Him, and without Him not even one came to be that came to be. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from Elohim whose name was Yochanan. This one came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not that light, but that he might be bear witness of that light. What light? He was the true light which enlightens every man coming into the world. He there is referring to Yeshua, the word, not to John. Now, he was in the world, and the world came to be through him, and the world did not have a relationship with him, a knowing of him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He's not talking about Jews here. Because he doesn't actually show up in the flesh till two more verses. Remember, we started in the beginning, and we're going through a timeline that will eventually lead to him coming in the flesh. So he came to his own. What is his own? Everybody. He created everybody. He came to his own, because he created them all. He says, none came to be, except they came to be through him. All that came to be through him, and without him, not even one came to be that came to be. Verse 3. So he came to his own, verse 11, his own didn't receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the authority to become children of Elohim, to those believing in his authority, who were born not of blood, nor of desire of the flesh, nor of desire of man, but of Elohim. There's your Ruach playing through right there. He says, these ones who did receive him, they did it how? Because of their bloodline? Nope. It's not because of who they were born. Not of their bloodline. Nor of desire. Not because they wanted it so bad. Some of you remember, and you are, actually, you know what? Some of you have friends right now, family right now, who they want it so bad, but they're caught in a lie in, Christ in Christianity. But they want it so bad. Some of you, you wanted it so bad, but until he was ready to open your eyes, excuse me, until he was open, ready to open your eyes, didn't matter how much you wanted it. I know one of you tells the story how bad you wanted it. Finally, when you get so frustrated, you say, well, if you're not going to give it to me, then I'm done with you. And then he finally gave what needed to be done. But you wanted it so bad. He's saying, look, it's not because of your effort. This is where it's not about works. Salvation, being aware of it. The idea and understanding that salvation exists and how it plays out and how it works in terms of the kingdom and eternal life is an opening eyes, opening ears thing that he has to give you. Your bloodline doesn't automatically give it to you. Your effort doesn't automatically give it to you. He says, so it's nor by blood, nor the desire of flesh, nor the desire of man, but of Elohim, his choice. And the, that's the key thing here. 
But as he opened eyes, the previous verse says, but many as received him, right, they were given authority. But before that, he said, most of them didn't receive him. Not everybody who has their eyes open receives. And so he's making that clear here. And then verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us, and we saw his esteem. The esteem is the only brought forth of the Father, complete in favor and truth. So we have that flow, and we go back to Romans, and we can see how that's flowing out here. Elohim had shut them up all for disobedience. And he says, oh, go back in verse 30. Let's go back to verse 30. For as you also at one time disobeyed Elohim, but now, but now have obtained compassion through the, their disobedience, so also these have now disobeyed, that through the compassion shown you, they also might obtain compassion. For Elohim has shut them up to disobedience in order to have compassion on all. That was the same thing that happened with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. He had compassion on all by allowing them to split. So that it would end up eventually being to where it came. And then with the two kingdoms, he allowed the Assyrians to come and take away the northern tribes. Then he allowed the Babylonians to come and take the southern tribes. But then he allowed some to come back to keep the remnant alive. Remnant's a small group. Notice he took the remnant out of Judah and not out of the northern kingdom. Why did he take it out of Judah? Because we have a promise that from Judah's, between Judah's legs will always be a lawgiver. We have those promises in Genesis. So he used Judah for that. Doesn't mean Judah didn't mess up a lot. They had to be taken away by Babylon. They had to go through other sufferings and persecutions, etc. But there was always a remnant. He says, on, Oh, the depth of riches and wisdom and knowledge of Elohim. Wow, that sounds like the same stuff we're looking at in Proverbs. Wisdom and knowledge of Elohim. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. In other words, you could never have thought this through back then that that was the whole big plan. While they were going through it, there's no way they could see how this was going to play out. There's no way. How unsearchable, untraceable. His judgments are incredible. For who has known the mind of Yahweh? Or who has become his counselor? <laughs> or who first gave to him and it shall be given back to him? Because of him and through him and to him are all to whom be esteemed and forever. Excuse me, to whom be esteemed forever. Amen. This is the problem. Now, by the way, this is what was going on in Jeremiah. Let me just make sure I put this right here. So we did this one through, we did the entire chapter, so 36. Okay, So we're back in Jeremiah when he was talking about the goodly tree and how they messed up. And because they messed up, fire would be set to that tree and branches would be cut off. Verse 16 of Jeremiah 11. Yahweh has named you green olive tree, fair and, goodly, uh, fair and of goodly fruit. I messed it up every time I've read that. With the noise of a great sound, he has set it on fire and its branches shall be broken. And Yahweh of hosts who planted you has spoken evil against you for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Yehuda, which they have done against themselves to provoke me by burning incense to Baal. Now bear in mind, what is the problem with this whole Baal thing? They were taking stuff of the Gentiles, stuff in the way they worshiped their Baals, their masters, their, their gods. Okay? And what did they do? They claimed it to be the way to worship the Elohim. Is that not what you see all through Christianity? Isn't that how we ended up with Christmas? Ended up with Easter? I drove home last night 
passed a huge, um, I'm thinking it's a Baptist church, okay? With a giant sign, uh, sign outside telling everybody to come for the Easter egg hunt. Woo! Because that has a whole lot to do with what? Where in your Bible is there an egg-laying rabbit? Chocolate eggs on top of it. Okay, where do you see that? Why do, where, where, where do you see Easter in your Bible? For all you King James only people. Because you get the word Easter in the book of Acts and it comes from the Hebrew which says Pesca. It doesn't say Easter, it says Pesach. The Pascha, the Paschal Lamb. Your book isn't perfect. And so what do you have? You have the incorporation of outside things into the truth. This is called syncretism. Syncretism. Not synchronizing, syncretism. Taking something from outside and bringing it in sync with something that was inside and it doesn't belong. This is what they were doing here, the Baals. He says, and you're doing these things to provoke me. Now none of us are thinking we want to provoke him. But we, he's told us what provokes him. So why do we do it? I mean, you may not mind provoking your brother or your sister. You may even have fun with it. I promise you it's not a good idea to provoke your creator. Okay, there's no fun in that. Trust me. All right. Where are we now? I think we can squeeze some more in here. You want some more? Let's go back to Proverbs 5. <laughs> that was an overwhelming yes. No, I'm kidding. There was a few very excited yeses. Let's go back to Proverbs 5. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. John 15. Right? We had more to do. We skipped John 15. Shame on all of you for not telling me to go there. Okay. John 15. Because that was where I was going before I re redirected to Romans 11. Okay. By the way, this is what it looks like when you study the word and you allow the Ruach to lead. I didn't have Romans 11 or John 1 in my notes planned to go. But when I was reading about the olive tree, the Ruach said, well, the olive tree is discussed in Romans 11. Now how do I, I, I can't go there unless I've already studied Romans 11. In other words, the Ruach stirs and brings to remembrance what is already there. Put enough in there, you give the Ruach something to work with. Okay? Proverbs, no, excuse me, John 15. We'll start in verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that bears no fruit he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it bears more fruit. Now, bear in mind that back in 2001 or two, I was in Hilton Head, South Carolina, sitting at a congregant's place of business. He had a sign business, you know, make big signs in front of buildings and stuff. And the senior pastor of the Baptist church on the island there came and said, hey, Bob, how you doing? And great. He said, oh, I'm doing great. Here, let me introduce you to my, my rabbi. This is Rabbi Steve. And he's probably thinking I was a Jewish rabbi. I wasn't thinking Messianic or that kind of thing. And we started talking and I was full of foolishness and vim and vigor. So I thought I'd have fun with the senior pastor of the Baptist church. You guys really have no idea how good you have it with me now. Okay. Okay. You go back 15, 18 years, it was not as good as it. Okay. I was really pretty rough. And so we're sitting there talking and I took out this book, the same exact book in my hands. You can see how worn out it is now. It was pretty new back then. And I, I read John, well, I said to him, I said, so let me understand this, Mr. Senior Baptist Pastor. So once saved is always saved, right? He goes, absolutely. I said, okay, so in John 15, when he says, every branch in me, would you say that's a saved person? Absolutely. 
that bears no fruit, he takes away. Oh, oops, what happened there? Then he goes, you are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. He says, stay in me and I stay in you as the branch is unable to bear fruit of itself unless it is stays in the vine. So neither you unless you stay in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who stays in me and I in him bears much fruit because without me you are unable to do nothing. But listen now, if anyone doesn't stay in me, that once saved, always saved person, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. What in the world happened there, Mr. Senior Pastor? Please explain. And he looked like I was handing him a bomb. He's like, and then he said, well, I don't know that translation. It's like, like it reads different in any translation. So I said to Bob, I said, Bob, you got, you got a King James here somewhere? He goes, yeah, pulls one off the shelf. And I say, well, here, explain it to me from this one. And he takes it, puts it down. He goes, well, you're just spiritually blind. I said, so what does that mean? If it wasn't spiritually blind, it would just like be obvious to me or something? Of course, then I had to go do, take a meeting, and my wife was sitting there, and he said that we're all going to hell, and she was ready to kind of jump up and tell him something, but okay. But that's the thing is that it's all right here clear. This is the branches thing that you read about in, Isaiah, I mean, in Jeremiah 11. We read about it in, in, in Romans 11. Oh, Lou, Romans 11, Jeremiah 11. There's a reason it's connected. Okay. Um, but in John 15, let's understand what's going on here. Every branch in me, that is somebody whose current status is covenanted. But covenant is not a permanent status. Just like it wasn't in Jeremiah 11 or in Romans 11. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he's going to take it away. In other words, if I've called you, opened your eyes and opened your ears and you do nothing with it, don't we have other parables that talk about that? Like the parable of the talents? Even the guy who did nothing with it, even what he had will be taken away? So let's remember that. He says, but every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Because even if you're bearing fruit, don't get all full of yourself. You're still going to need pruning. Why? Because then you can bear more fruit. It's just that it bears more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Stay in me. Why would he say stay in me unless he knew that you could choose to not stay in him? There's no status called once saved, always saved. Go listen to the are you saved teaching. Stay in me and I stay in you. Did you notice that he didn't say I stay in you, then you stay in me. He said, no, you stay in me and I stay in you. You walk away, then you're walking away from me. I'm not following you. You stay with me. If you and him are separated, it's because one of you moved and it's not him. He's not following you. You're following him. Stay in me. As the branch is unable to bear fruit of itself unless it stays in the vine. So neither you unless you stay in me. The branch is unable to bear itself. It has to be connected into the vine. The, the root bears the branch. Is that the other way around? Romans 11. Let's not be thinking the other way around. He goes, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who stays in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But notice you have to, it's an if. The one who stays in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Because without me you are able to do nothing. 
If anyone does not stay in me, he's thrown away as a branch that dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. It doesn't say anybody does not stay in me. You're going to hell and burn forever and be tortured. It does not say that, does it? Has anybody made a fire? What's the stuff you want to start that with? The stuff that's dried up, broken into small pieces, and it burns really quickly. That's what he's talking about here. You're going to dry up and just go poof, burn up. If you stay in me and my words stay in you, now he's being more specific. What does it mean to stay in him and have him stay in you? His words. Don't turn this into some esoteric ooey gooey, the ruach is flowing through and Yeshua is just in me, blah, blah, blah. No, he's saying, look, if you stay in me, my words stay in you. And you shall ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you if you're asking according to that word. And we talk in other places about the same thing. So let's understand as we go through this what it's talking about. In this my father is esteemed that you bear much fruit and you shall be my students, my Talmudim, my students, my taught ones. As the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Stay in my love. He just told us about the words. If you love me, Keep my commandments. The Torah was given out of love. What people, what nation is there that has their Elohim so close and has such great laws as this, we're told, in the journey out of Egypt? We read those verses. What, what other nation has such great things? You talk to the Jewish people, they will tell you the Torah was given to us because of how much he loved us. You talk to a Christian, the Torah is given as torture. <laughs> An unbearable burden. It was a punishment. Listen to Melchizedekian guys out there. The Torah was a punishment. The stuff that was against us. Really? Come on. He says here, if you stay in me and my words stay in you. What are his words? Anything that was a thus said Yahweh. Go back and listen to the teaching on do you know the Father and the Son. When he said the commandments, the Messiah was saying the commandments. The law the Torah is his words. If you stay in me and my words, my laws, my instructions, my, my path to life, the light stays in you, you shall ask whatever you wish and it shall be done. Now, you're not asking just whatever you wish, just in general. You are doing it in the context of being inf infused and filled to overflowing with him, with his words. So you wouldn't ask dumb things. So it's not like he became your little genie now that you can just rub and ask him for whatever you want. He's expecting that you're going to do it in his authority correctly. So that, why? If you do this, in this my father is honored, is esteemed, that you bear much fruit and you shall be my students. As the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Stay in my love. If you guard my commands, you shall stay in my love. Are we not clear enough yet? If there was any confusion... He says it right there. This is what I mean by what I just said. He says, I just told you about staying in my love and the Father loving me and I love you. What do I mean? I mean, if you guard my commands, this demonstrates that you're staying in my love. Even as I have guarded my Father's commands and stay in his love. Oh no, love doesn't have anything to do with works. Really? He wants you to do his stuff. And when you do his stuff, you demonstrate your love. Because he gave you the stuff to do because of his love.
Because giving you the instructions takes all of the guessing and the error out of our trying to please him and to please each other. He tells us the right way to do it. Takes all the frustration away, all the confusion, and all the wrong stepping. If we would just do it his way. These words I've spoken to you so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. I mentioned this last night as part of the Erev Shabbat, right? And the Rosh Kodesh. He wants us to be overflowing with joy. Not just any level of joy. His level of joy. That's, a, that's, a, I mean, that's the highest level you could possibly have. That my joy might be in you and that your joy may find completeness. By the way, that here where it talks about joy being complete... That's the same word that when he says, you know, I, I came uh, you know, to fulfill the law. Right? When we read about that, he says, that he says, I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. And they say, okay, see, the law is fulfilled, so it's done away with. Well, guess what? By that same token, joy is done away with. So stop it. I saw you smiling in joy. No joy. He wants us to be joyless. No, he says, I want you to have filledness of joy. He's like, I want it to be filled to overflowing. He said, I didn't come to destroy. I came to show you the fulfillment of it, the fullness of it, the ultimate example of what it looks like. Not doing away with it. Look, use equal weights and equal measures. Don't tell me the law was done away with for the exact same phrase, but don't tell me the joy is not done, done away with. Same phrase. This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so... It's not just love your neighbor as yourself. Now it's a much harder thing. You have to love your neighbor as he loves you. Not the neighbor as Yeshua loves you. <laughs> That's when it really gets tough. Because love your neighbor as yourself, some of you don't even like yourselves. <laughs> That's not going to work very well. If you don't even like you. He says, this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that one should lay down his life for his friends. You won't lay down anything for your friends. We are so stubborn and self-possessed and need everybody to be doing everything our way. Lay stuff down. Let it go. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Ah, what makes us his friends is doing what he says. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all teachings that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my authority, he might give you. But the reason that would be that way is because you were chosen and appointed and then you chose to obey and submit. That's how this would all work out at the end of that verse. These words I've commanded you so that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, for that reason, the world hates you. Now remember, this is all about what? Covenant. They are covenanted with him, and as covenanted people, you are not of the world... But you're still in the world. And so if you're hated, you understand why. Remember, he's talking about, when he starts with every branch in me, he's talking about those that are covenanted. That's, our, that's the translation I'm going to put there. You don't have to agree with me. So everything in John 15 is his prayer for those that are covenanted. He says, remember 
the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they shall persecute you too. If they have guarded my word, they would have guarded yours too. But all this they shall do to you because of my name, my authority, because they do not know him who sent me. In other words, they have not chosen to submit to Yeshua. We get the good stuff he says in here because of submission. Because of submission, he'll do what we ask. Not do what we ask from our authority, because we're going to ask things that are in line with his authority. Because if you were in his authority, you would ask dumb stuff that shows you that you're still sitting on the throne. You would only ask stuff that's in line with his authority. What verse did I leave off of? 21. Okay? But all this they shall do to you because of my authority, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I did not do among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have both seen and have hated both me and my father. By the way, do you notice in all these verses, there's clearly two beings. There's no three. If there's three, the poor ghost is always being left out. Probably feels all depressed about it. <laughs> me and my father are one. Not me and my father and the ghost are one. There's two. The Ruach is a part of the equation, but not as a third entity. Listen to the teaching called Understanding the Ruach. Okay? Now, he says, But now they have both seen and have hated both me and my father. But that the word might be filled, which was written in their Torah... They hated me without a cause. And when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of the truth, who comes from the Father, he shall bear witness of me. Now I explain that in another teaching where we get much more into the whole, in John 14, when it talks about the giving of the Spirit. Okay? Where he absolutely makes it clear that it's himself. Let's just look at that real quickly here. Verse 16 of John 14. And I shall ask the Father, and he shall give you another helper to stay with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world is unable to receive because it does not see him or know him. But you already know him, for he stays with you and shall be in you. And then if that's not clear enough, he says, I shall not leave you orphans. I am coming to you. But I'm coming in another form. So we're still talking about Yeshua here, not some different entity. The means by which this takes place is called the Ruach. That is how this happens. You don't feel him walking around in you. If you do, you need counseling. Okay. And call somebody else. Okay. Um, that's above my skill set. Okay. Um, and when the helper comes... Whom I shall send to you, the Father, the Spirit of truth, who comes uh, from the Father. He shall bear witness to me, but you also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, I'm going to only read one more verse in verse uh, chapter 16. These words I have spoken to you. Why? So that you do not stumble. It's a bad place for a chapter break. I would have put it after verse 1. Okay? I would have put that as the last verse in chapter four, uh, 15. He said all this stuff so that you don't stumble. Stumble in what? Covenant keeping. That's the nature of our relationship with him. Is a, is a relationship called covenanting. 
We see this playing out from Proverbs 5 as we try to understand the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding relationship and covenant keeping. We brought that into the idea of this woman with the honey sweet lips and the stumbling and the feet that she would lead you into places you shouldn't go because it leads to the grave. It's not a man in order to put his own feet. It leads to death. Then we see how that connects up to this tree. Because remember, verses 16, 17, and 18 of Jeremiah 11 flowed through this whole place of decisions being made based on what? Decisions being made from the place, okay? From the place of, I'm going to do whatever in my own stubborn heart. Remember, that was earlier in the chapter. So doing things from your own stubborn heart in the idea of covenanting lead to a place where eventually you are having your branch cut off. That we took that to Romans 11 and into John 15, so hopefully this is starting to make some more sense and clarity. In other words, if you don't focus on doing what you're supposed to be doing, he may just take it away from you. So take it seriously and focus on it appropriately. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we want to lift up your holy name. We want to lift up your word. We want to submit completely in covenant in the relationship with you and with Yeshua. And so, Father, we want to be in this vertical alignment where he says, I have chosen you, and you submit to me as I submit to the Father. And so, Father, let us be inspired and given strength and encouragement to submit to Yeshua, the Torah, the truth, the light, the life, the way, in the same way he was submitted to you. Let us learn to love each other as he loves us. So that, Father, that we could walk correctly and not be tempted to go left or right by the woman with the honey on the lips whose feet seem like they go to a path that looks like it's your way, but it's not your way. And the only reason it looks like it's your way is because it's my way. In other words, the me and me likes it better. Help us to deal with that me, that I, that part of us that likes that other way better, that would be tempted to go her way instead of your way. Father, we love you, and we're just so desiring to only do what's right in your sight. We want to seek what's well-pleasing in your sight. Help us to do that as we strive to overcome flesh, to while we are in the world and not taken out of the world, we are striving not to be of the world. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We appreciate all that you're giving us and our feet here and our plate and the food that we can eat so that we can understand what is well-pleasing in your sight and then put it to work so that it can bear much fruit. Father, let us be those that will stay in Yeshua and bear fruit so that you never think to take away our branch and throw it in the fire. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we give you all thanks and glory and honor in the name of, the, in the name of, of all names, Yeshua our Messiah. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to Now is the Time with Steve Berkson here on Hebrew Nation Radio. Now is the Time Radio is a production of MTOI, Messianic Torah Observant Israel. For more information, visit mtoi.org.